Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. My name is Craig. Today, we are doing an author shelf episode. This is on uh, Mort by Terry Pratchett. This is Discworld number four. Now, before you leave, don't worry about spoilers, okay? More on that. Well, let me just say, uh, like I said, this is an author shelf episode. Uh, We're doing Mort. You don't need to worry about spoilers because it's just not that kind of book, okay? So you don't need, it, it doesn't really matter that much. So I just say, settle in. Enjoy what is sure to be a very fun discussion. And when you're done listening to this, go to thelegendarium.com to hear past episodes. Support the show at patreon.com slash legendarium. And go subscribe on YouTube, where we do post more than just the audio that you get in your podcast feed. So go check out the YouTube channel. And now, some introductions are in order. Like I said, I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, the only fate worse than in eternity reaping souls would be an hour reading his autobiography. It's Ryan Bruckman. And that's about all it would take. That's about all I'd be able to write. Is about an hour's mm-hmm. worth. That's it. That's that's the story. But I would record life. the audiobook too, and that would be just sensational. <laughs> and we all know what we're supposed to say to death, right? Not today. But he would just smile and say, "Hey, don't forget to like and subscribe." It's Daniel Green. <laughs> <laughs> I like that because it buys into the me being a soulless YouTube hack. That's that's good. It, that worked really well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, see, I'm the guy with the silver plaque behind his shoulder, like, kind of like, uh, you know, bragging every time I shrug. Wait, uh, where'd I put mine? Oh, Wait, hold up. It's right there. There you go. See, I put my book in front of it because I'm even more vain. I'm implying that my writing is more important than my plaque. <laughs> there you go. Well, Daniel, welcome. Glad to have you. Just to uh, let people in on what we do here with the author's shelf episode. We bring in somebody who is an author, wrote a book. Daniel, you wrote a book. People should go check out Breach of Peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not its not even very expensive. I think it's like four bucks on Amazon right now. So go get it on your Kindle. Or pay a bunch of money and get the paperback and you know do Daniel a solid. <laughs> um, but with the author shelf episode, instead of inviting Daniel on to talk about his book, which you know other people do, I'm sure he does plenty of it. You know, so you know, I'm tired of book. my book. So, <laughs> <laughs> but. We are, uh, instead of doing that, uh, we invite an author on to speak about a, a book that they pull off of their shelf. So something that was uh, influential, formative, uh, interesting in some way to the author. So we've done this with several authors in the past. Next up is Daniel. Daniel, you chose Mort. We'll talk more about this, uh, about why you chose it in just a moment. But I did select, or I didn't, I select, I wrote, I wrote out three paragraphs of, uh, of a uh, recap. Ryan, I, I'm sure you missed these. I haven't done a recap in a while for any of our books. Are you doing it in poetry form like you did the Lord of the Rings stuff? Oh, <laughs> now I really feel like I missed no, an opportunity. I, you but... need to do it in an English accent. That is obviously the proper way to do this. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Ryan is the only one here who has a proper English accent. Don't you dare, Ryan. I don't want to hear it. I do. Um, <laughs> all right. So the more... entire episode that you're going to get some throughout the whole episode now, just because you did that. Yay. Uh, Okay, recapping Mort by Terry Pratchett. In my 20s, I took a job as a bank teller. I was a few years older than would be normal for the position, so my boss uh, kind of overestimated how quickly he could trust me with it. It was a very busy branch, so three days into my three-week training course, I was put on the teller line, handling the the linen-y, papery stuff that we old people still remember as money. 
Um, anyway, I did okay on my first day, but on my second day on the job, I somehow managed to lose track of $1,800. The only thing that kept me from being fired was the fact that my boss was probably pretty close to being fired for putting an untrained teller on the line. Mort has no such safety net. He's the awkward son of a farmer or something, I can't quite remember, who gets an apprenticeship to save, or sorry, <laughs> Mort can't get an apprenticeship to save his life. So instead, he gets an apprenticeship to take others' lives uh, when he's recruited by death. Yes, that death. The skull-faced, scythe-wielding one. After a few days showing Mort the ropes, death decides he wants a day off and lets Mort take the reins. It does not go well. It turns out the human capacity for love and mercy doesn't do so well when it runs up against the universal reality of death. Instead of sending her soul to the next life, Mort spares a pretty young princess who was supposed to be in the process of being assassinated. The result is a bifurcation of reality, with the wrong one imploding on everyone within it. The real death could probably fix it, but he's busy working as a short-order cook, uh, so maybe later. In the end, Mort and his new companions avert disaster, anger death, and get everything they, uh, well, maybe not everything they deserve, but everything they're owed after death's day off. So, Daniel, why'd you choose this book? So this is one of my favorite Discworld books, and I've never had a forum where I could, like, in long form talk about why it's such an effective story with people. I've read almost all of Discworld, if not all of it. I actually have a hard time keeping track at this point because there's just so many. But this one's not the funniest. It doesn't have the best characters. It has great ones, like Death is my favorite Discworld character, but it's not his <laughs> best book. But for some reason, there's something about this one that just keeps it in my top five Discworld books. And I've never been able to figure out why. So I'm putting the burden on you two. <laughs> figure out why I like this one so much and why it just comes across so <laughs> well done. Like the story is told so effectively here, except for some stuff that maybe you could condense at the end or whatever. I just found this to be one of Terry Pratchett's best outings in terms of a storyteller. Okay. All right. So Ryan... Uh, a few years ago, we did The Truth with Brandon Sanderson. So he selected a Terry Pratchett book as well. We read that. Have you read any others since? Because I haven't. I have not read any yet. But every time we get into doing a Discworld novel, uh, one of these, I immediately afterwards go, okay, I need to go grab another couple of them. So I have a oh, couple yeah. more in my library that I'm like, I need to read these, but I haven't opened them up yet. And so like Guards Guards is on the list right there. It's, it's a pretty soon one to, to jump into. But I think part of it's also knowing, I keep hearing that there's an, there, don't read it in order, read other, like read these things. And from it's, the feel I this, get. This these, is one that, that I, I get a lot when people say that. They're like, don't read The Color of Magic. That's the first Discworld book. It's like, even Terry Pratchett was like, yeah, please don't read that one first. It wasn't my best effort. This is often the one that people will say, yeah, just start with more. It's usually uh, Mort or Guards Guards, which are the two but, entry points. I often point at Small Gods as well, because that's not a series like Guards Guards leads into and Mort kind of leads into. So I think that one, if you were just looking for a one-off, is also a great way to go. That one's probably Terry Pratchett's most like philosophical. But yeah, it's a it's a series broken into sub-series. So I think there's over 30 books, which turns a lot of people off from trying Discworld altogether. But what you have to realize is, like, you can just read the Guards Guards series, or I think it's called the Night Watch or something series, and that'll be fine. And that's, you know, not 32 books. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's the same thing with The Truth. The Truth, I think, I, I can't remember if it's the first one of his, like, Industrial Revolution books or mm -hmm. whatever. It doesn't matter. They're all kind of 
stand well i shouldn't say all i know there are some entries that aren't quite standalones but for the most part like i i hopped into this book with no problem i thought this was a really good entry point well, it's strange um, and, how he tells Discworld through almost just like a series of events that are often unrelated. It's like he's just plopping down in this world wherever he wants to tell a story, and that allows him so much freedom as a creative to just, what can I have happen here? And I think that's why Discworld has got something for, like, everybody. There's just such, yeah. so many different angles from the witches to the guards to death to the one-offs. Just, just, there's all these different facets that I've, I've yet to meet someone who's tried a lot of them and didn't find one that really spoke to him. Right, right. So, Ryan, Daniel is asking, why is this his favorite book? Uh, let me ask you, did you like it? Uh, were, you, were you into this one? Yeah, I, I devoured this book. Uh, about, it took me two sittings to get through the, through the, whole, the whole thing, and just I, I, I was constantly driven forward. And that's not always the case. Sometimes, you know, even with uh, you know, some more enjoyable works, uh, lighter fare, it still takes a little bit to push through it. And this one, I... I tore through the whole thing. I loved it. I love Mort. I love the journey he goes on as he slowly transitions into becoming death and then is pulled out of being death by uh, uh, Isabel. And I love, I am literally laughing out loud multiple times as death is trying to figure out what it is to be human and <laughs> going through flesh, you know. It's it's so good. It's, um, yeah. As you're, you're extolling the virtues of a two-sitting book, which I think is absolutely fair on a podcast where we usually read doorstoppers, right? Um, but this is a chance, Daniel, I can't believe you missed it, to plug your 98-page uh, <laughs> Breach of Peace. So, well, Mort uh, is almost novella length, I think. Is right. It's coming close. I know it's nowhere near, obviously, the size of, like, A Way of Kings. Like, this is something you can just – I think my dad did it in, like, two bike rides. He just, like, listened to it on audiobook, and he mm -hmm. just did – like that and it's that's another like i don't know i i the reason i got through discworld so fast is each book i kind of use as like a palette cleanser between like malazan stormlight you know witcher i would just do a, a, a discworld and it was just such a nice way to like refresh go into another one because they like energize me as a reader too right right so uh yeah i i'm i really love this one i'm with you ryan took me about two sittings to make my way through it um, half of it was on the airplane on our way out to Jordan Con a week or two ago, and I was uh, disturbing the person sitting next to me as I was laughing. <laughs> Although I will say I didn't laugh as much, or, or I didn't laugh as often as I did when we read The Truth. I yes. wonder if uh, if his his humor muscles were just still you know getting worked, um, and uh, you know he wasn't in in full flower until later in uh, in Discworld. I don't know. Or maybe he just wasn't trying to be quite as funny with this book. So I didn't laugh as often, but there were definitely some lines that just had me howling. There's a, there's a, at one point toward the beginning of the book, death has picked up Mort as his apprentice and they're kind of riding somewhere on his horse, Binky, which is fantastic. Um, they're riding the horse and uh, death is basically like, are, are, are you hungry? You're mortal, right? You're hungry. He says, because right now I feel like I could kill or I, I would murder a good curry. <laughs> just, the thought of death with his, uh, you know, the skull face, I would murder a good curry was just too much. I couldn't take it. So, um, oh, sorry, Daniel, you look like you're about to say something else. Go well, ahead. I, I think the intention of the story is just providing less humor. Like, it's just less humorous on face value of, you know, like there's obviously great circumstantial humor, but almost all the humor I found throughout this is through like obviously it's intentional for Terry Pratchett, but like unintentionally from characters and stuff, unlike guards guards, which has like direct jokes and people involved. Almost all the laughs throughout Mort are just because, well, 
I don't know if this is it's this maybe too spoilery this early on, but like death is a horrible boss. Like he is the worst <laughs> boss ever. He's like, you've been at this for a bit. Just go be death. <laughs> it's like, I'm bored. I, I hate this life. Go do my job. And it's it's that's one of my favorite aspects of it is realizing like death is this insanely flawed individual. He's having an existential crisis for 90 percent of the book. <laughs> Which really makes for some some excellent lines later on. Yeah, and as far as spoilers go, don't worry about it. Like I said earlier, spoilers, they don't matter for a book like this. Not really. It's a, a, a journey before destination and all that I stuff. I was just like thinking that. This is a journey yeah. book. It's about the experience. There it is. There it is. I don't know about you, but I could murder a curry. <laughs> I have a shirt that says <laughs> so that, and it's my good. favorite shirt. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I need this. Um, that's fantastic. Okay. All right. So... Um, Ryan, why should we zoom out a little bit before we zoom in, get to you know, other favorite lines and characters and all this stuff. Let's stay zoomed out for just a moment more, uh, and see high level. Do you have a theory why this might be Daniel's favorite? Um, he's too young to be in the midlife crisis point point. So I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, but that. he's, but he's seen some stuff. So <laughs> it's an old soul. <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's a, in, in the comedy and everything in here, it, it's really enjoyable, but there is a very strong human element in this about uh, trying to achieve something when there's maybe nothing expected of you or when something, when great things are expected of you. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the balance of uh, death and Mort go on different journeys and it's literally like they're opposite of each other. And it's apparent in the way that the power shifts between the two of them uh, as you get further on in the book. Um, and that's, that's something that most of us at some point in time in our lives have felt either Mort at the beginning of his journey or death, uh, you know, at the beginning of the journey, just like, I'm tired of this. I'm trying to figure out what to do next. I need this. And, you know, that's something that I feel like anybody who picked this up uh, could find a way to relate to one of these characters uh, mm. and, and be able to follow that journey well. So I don't mm. know that if that rings any bells or, or strikes any chords. No, I, so think, I, it does. I think that's. That's perfectly reasonable. I um, so you're coming at it from kind of the character's perspective and identifying with the characters. Um, and I I might even pull out and look at the um, pull out further and look at the uh, philosophy that Terry Pratchett is putting out there. And he, he puts out a lot of little philosophical philosophical tidbits that I don't think he necessarily believes himself, but he's throwing them out there through these characters to say, yeah, here's something for you to think about. Um, and so when we read The Truth, Ryan, that one was very much uh, kind of a social commentary, the, the way that culture interacts with, um, with the press, especially, right? And how the press operates, how it should think of itself, how people should think of it, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's a, kind of a very specific social issue. Whereas this one, and, oh, and so if we do our level three or a three level theory thing, that would be like a level uh, two thing, right? The socio-political commentary. This one gets into level three in that it gets further into like what it means to actually be a human and exist in the world that has so much injustice, right? So Mort at some point says, is there no justice? And Death says, no, there's only me, uh, you know, and this is, so it's getting into something deep within our human psyche that is shared among all of us, right? Whereas social commentary might be, um, you know, hit or miss, like who's going to identify with it or whatever. But I'm thinking of... Um, a line like this, uh, when Mort screws something up um, and says, uh, he says, are you going to send me home? 
And Death reached down, swung him up behind the saddle, and says, Because you showed compassion? No. I might have done if you'd shown pleasure, but you must learn the compassion proper to your trade. What's that? A sharp edge. And like little bits like that where it's, you know, that's not a funny line. That's actually a very deep line for somebody to really sink their teeth into um, and say like, oh gosh, you know, what is compassion? And is compassion, does long-term compassion mean being nice all of the time in the short term? You know, it, oof, it, you get into some really sticky areas in a hilarious book, right? Um, and so this one like I'm kind of fumbling toward uh, as a point. This one gets to something that's, that a book like uh, The Truth lacks a little bit, which is that, uh, that mm, universal human element. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it does. And that's just one of Terry Pratchett's greatest strengths that I don't hear talked about enough is he not only, he knows when to fully dissect an idea and to make a statement and when to just make a reader think without saying any solutions. Like he uses death very often, in my opinion, to be a provider of answers. But a lot of times the answers will be not what you expect because he uses this force, this, this embodiment, this personification of a force of nature to say like, like the famous justice speech, right? Where it's like, you want there to be this thing, but the real answer, the harsh truth that you're talking about is that there is no such thing as justice really. It's made up. And I love that. Like he's very good at using these characters that have an abstract purpose or philosophy behind them to bring in something that no other character could. Because like th there's extra weight to that line you just mentioned because it's coming from literally death. Yes. <laughs> and that's... Uh... Absolutely. Sorry, Ryan, anything else to say on that topic before we move on to, to other things? No, I was uh, I was curious if, if anything that uh, if anything we said rang true for Daniel or not, or, uh, you know, I think so. Yes. Both points pretty expertly, especially what you were saying, Ryan, I think kind of just is why, because it's why it, more to me, it's just the ultimate showcasing of Terry Pratchett's ability with the pen, because it just kind of encompasses like everything he's good at in various ways like guards guards i think is funnier it's got some more funny characters but it's not as philosophical i mean it definitely has a lot of commentary and power and authority but this one is more on that like i don't know almost psychological level that Discworld will lay into and i i just enjoyed that so much so i think both you guys hit something there um and this is just a total random thought that popped in my head but i'd like to know your thoughts on i also on this recent reread i found me realizing how what how specifically dialogue terry pratchett writes very similarly to neil gaiman in my opinion there's a bluntness and a directness to how they write dialogue that i think is why they work so well together as authors just a right. random thing i realized this time <laughs> it's a very english thing isn't it yeah, fair enough yes yeah. So yeah the first pratchett and gaiman i ever read was good omens where they work together so reading their works afterwards and trying to sort who is responsible for what has been really a unique experience to try and be like, oh, yeah, so Gaiman must have wrote this dialogue because this is in his – no, no, Pratchett does this too. Okay. It's – yeah. <laughs> that's, I think that's part of the reason the, uh, the reason that Good Omens is such an incredible series is because it, it played to the strengths of two incredible authors uh, so well and they blended so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get now zoom in, get to the uh, some of the character stuff, uh, and I want to start with death. Okay, so you might think we'd want to save this till the end, but uh, I, I kind of want to get to this because 
Daniel, you were saying something about he's doing all this, or like he says this line and he's actually literally death. Um, An anthropomorphic uh, personification. Right. <laughs> uh, and he has some of the funniest scenes in the book, but they're also some of the shortest ones. Uh, so everybody else is running around doing stuff. He's enjoying his day off um, and trying to learn, you know, I don't know what it means to be human, I suppose. Um, but, uh, okay, so favorite favorite things about that or, or just or least favorite things about it i don't care something something about death's journey in this book let's let's dive into that well it's um, it struck me like he was writing sketches for death very often they felt like <laughs> right? short form comedy sketches <laughs> where terry was just like where could i what could i have him do that'll be funny and it just always plays out and the joke very impressively never didn't land for me that is so rare in literature i laughed or at least did a Every single time I was supposed to. <laughs> well, I, I think, um, speaking of his writing style, I mean, he sets you up. It's like a good stand-up comic. He leads with some really, really strong material. And then even the stuff throughout the rest of the act that might be, you know, not quite as strong still gets a huge laugh from the audience because now they're primed, right? Mm. And so he primes you in the beginning of his books. Uh, and then, you know, he, he may turn the dial down a little bit, but it's always, it's always going. Um, my favorite bit with death uh, was probably the diner scene um, when he is. So he, he's gone through a few different uh, activities and uh, he gets to the diner. You, you, uh, it, so Terry Pratchett stops and he just tells you about this restaurant in this seedy part of Ankh-Morpork, Pork, uh, which is the greatest city name of all time. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's kind of like Robert Jordan with the wind coming through the mountains and then it settles on a character. You go through this diner and how, what a scuzzy part of town it's in. And then you go, and there's the owner who now has a new cook and he's great because he's so fast. Uh, so he's a, he's a very, very short order cook. Um, and he's, he's serving up things. And, uh, I, I don't know. It's kind of like you were saying earlier, Daniel, it's like the, the one-liners maybe aren't quite the thing. It's the sit or was it Ryan? I can't remember who said it. It's the situational comedy. Um, as much or more than the actual one-liners. Just the idea of death in an apron serving up eggs. Uh, or what, what do they call them? Uh, you know, pre prenatal birds or something like that. <laughs> His confusion with people is like the greatest element in this book. Just this constant, you're weird, <laughs> that he has is really wonderful. He has uh, a very interesting try-fail cycle in this because it, I don't think he, uh, maybe I misread, but I don't think his intention originally was to take a day off until after Mort took his mm. afternoon off. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to try and figure out as this influence has started to come in on, uh, come on in. And everything he does, it's hilarious to watch. It's like very simple activity goes haywire. It's a pretty common formula here. Uh, one of my favorites is one of the first ones he does where he ties a fly for fly fishing. I know nothing about fly fishing, but I knew enough to that when he talks about he casts it out there and the fly would attack the fish and like it pulled one out backwards. It like grabbed it by the tail and pulled it out. Like to me, that's, that's hilarious. And the power in doing something like that with death and why he's able to do that plus be such a powerful thing is uh, to me, it's the idea of truth and comedy. Uh, Everyone has kind of a guardian at their brain's front that says, uh, if this is too absurd, I'm not going to let it in. Or if I don't, you know, if this is something that's too wrong, I'm not going to let it in. And humor is a way to get past that guardian first. It's a way to get through and say, this is a safe idea. This is a safe something to get there. 
And so to have death go through these situations and be funny, it allows you to have some very real and deeper uh, explorations of uh, trying to be human. You know, the what is fun? You know, these moments, yeah. they, they get, it's, a, it's that philosoph the philosophy that you were talking about, but it, it only is accessible and it's only going to ring as true because it came through before as a comedic moment uh, through death. It's the it's the fantasy version of the sci-fi trope of the aliens who come to Earth and tell us what we're all really like, right? <laughs> the, the aliens come, they're like, oh, you humans do things very oddly. I mean, this is kind of that, that same idea, right? Well, I, um, I think there's also the reason it never – like there's no diminishing returns throughout more with me. And I think hmm. one of the reasons for that is because – there's still a seriousness to the fact it's death. For some reason, he never loses the weight behind the fact that he is literally death. Even though there's all these jokes happening, it's almost like Terry never crossed the line of making death the butt of the joke. It's always our conceptions around the proper and not proper and what he's doing versus what's expected that's funny. But he still is death. Everything he does makes sense for him to do. It's never taking away from his power and authority in a way. Which makes it, it makes me really glad it was written in the 80s and not like a generation or two before because uh, the style of humor uh, previous to this would have been very slapstick, right? Yeah. And then death slipped on the banana peel and everybody laughed, mm -hmm. uh, to your point, right? So, yeah, it, instead it's a, a much uh, drier British humor. <laughs> That's that we what Cutwell's for. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there is that. Um, speaking of the, the idea that you just brought up, Daniel, that this is still, it's still serious. It's still death. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think of Terry Pratchett so much now as a humor writer that when he does other things well, I'm surprised, but I know I shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, there's another passage uh, to, to get to your point where. Um, everything's going wrong. This is like toward the end of the book, everything's going wrong and Mort and his companions are trying to figure out what to do and they wander into the stacks. It's this library where um, all these books are, all the autobiographies of everybody on earth is, are, are being written by themselves. You're right, the chicken scratches are happening uh, uh, autonomously. And uh, they walk in here and it says, the stack was as dark and silent as a cave deep underground. The shelves were barely far enough apart for one person to walk between them and towered up well beyond the dome of candlelight. They were particularly eerie because they were silent. There were no more lives to write. The books slept. But Mort felt that they slept like cats with one eye open. They were aware. And I, I read that and I just went, ooh, ooh. That's like delightfully kind of creepy. This, you know, ooh, that the books that are supposed to be everybody's lives, they're done writing. Oh my gosh, it's a disaster. And it's not a funny line. It's not. Um, it's not anyway what I would expect. You know, if you pulled out a random paragraph from a Pratchett novel, but he does this really well. He gives you this creepy scenario with the books and the, and the silence and the candlelight. And oh man, what a great great scene! Yet it doesn't. But he still break... does take it. The Go other ahead. Way. Sorry. No, he he still does take it uh, down there because. Isabel talks about how she walked down to the point where it's animal skins and it's everyone's named <laughs> right. uh, uh, and Zog and things like that. So that, you know, it's a really beautiful, serious moment here. And then, oh, by the way, there's still this here. It got me thinking, actually, I was like, okay, so what would ours be? Would it just be like a single computer sitting there all dedicated like to the cloud or to be a bunch of iPads <laughs> on the side? Like what would, what did, what is our life being written on? 
you know. Google servers. Yeah. It'd be something more disappointing than that. It would just be like a teenager rolling their eyes or something that's just like whatever. <laughs> like it's not even it's worth knowing. A series of emojis. <laughs> Um, so I, that, that you bring up a point there about his prose where I feel like his humor is always used to set up the point of the story. Like, you know, they, there's the jokes around death to set up like the absurdity of it. But then by the end, the, the themes, the messages that's laid home is about responsibility. It's about, you know, value of life. It's about the right thing. You know, that, as you said, the sharper blade can be the more, uh, merciful thing. But then he literally, to get into full spoilers here, he literally hands Mort a object that is his screw-up. At the end of the book, he goes, oh, here's yeah. what's left of your screw-up. It seems like a gift, but I read that, and I was like, way to make sure he'll never forget. <laughs> He's just like, here is your <laughs> screw-up. Keep that, and that's going to weigh on your neck forever. Oh, it's so good. And I love, uh, I love the imagery and the creativity of um okay so to to set the scene a little bit here mort has screwed up he saved the princess and it creates this weird time bubble thing and the bubble is collapsing and everything outside the bubble is the normal world where the princess died because uh, that's what she was supposed to do and everything within the bubble is the princess is, is alive but nobody quite knows what to do with this because it's so out of the the you know the fabric of time whatever Anyway, this bubble is collapsing on itself toward the princess, um, and they figure out a way to get out of it, but the bubble still collapses, and that's the kind of little pearl that he gives to, uh, to Mort. Um, and the creativity behind that alone would be good, but then he says, you know, this is actually the seed of a new universe. This is a thing, it's a, you know, it's a, a part of the multiverse that never actually quite happened, but it, it could. And when this universe collapses, this one, uh, you know, the, the pearl will burst into being and, uh, you know, everything will start over. I just thought, oh my gosh. Yeah, it just takes this little thing and makes it this gigantic, like, what the hell? Like, that's that's so <laughs> far ahead of its time. It also, like, it, to me, it borders into, like, sci-fi. Like, that's, that's something you see in a sci-fi epic, not like a fantasy novella. Um, and I just love those details he does where it's clearly so thought out. It's so planned. And it's so like momentous in that moment, like I don't know, especially on this reread. This is my fourth time through the book. That was nice. like this, this, this moment hits harder the more I read, and like the themes really lay into me of what the purpose of all mm. this was. Well, should we talk about Mort? I can Not I quickly the, book, the character. Can I quickly actually yeah, bring yeah. up Death's daughter? Because I don't think we're spending a oh, ton yeah. of time on her, but she is stuck in a hell. Like I, <laughs> she is in a perpetually sixteen. She's been yeah. sixteen for. 30 plus years and i was like the, the scene where she flips out about that i was sitting here like this is hell she is stuck in an actual i remember being 16 that's horrifying <laughs> well and imagine yeah 16 alone with nothing but like a creepy old wizard and death to keep you company <laughs> yeah <laughs> um no we, yeah i can, we can talk about her before we get to mort um she i i i i Let's see. What are some interesting things about her? Uh, he does go to some pains to make sure that we know as readers that she is not the hot princess. Yeah. So Mort sees the hot princess and he, he falls in love immediately. I must save the hot princess. And he gets to, to uh, Isabel. And she's kind of, she's, she's a little uh, plump. And Eleven stone. plain. Eleven stone, that's right. And she's plain and uh, she's annoying and all these things. Um which uh, just kind of it 
he goes out of his way to say this is not the princess but it becomes very clear pretty quickly that uh, yeah this is who mort is going to fall in love with uh, through the course of the story um and uh anyway so that's that's her character as seen through mort's eyes but uh from her perspective yeah, like you say, she's stuck in a little literal hell. Is there anything else to say about her? I yeah, she's she, smart. She's capable. She knows death's charts better than uh, than Mort does, which is God somewhat runs. surprising. I mean, she she knows how to read the nodes, and I love the moment when we get to the oh, you got to set the nodes, otherwise everything's going to fall apart. And uh, Mort's like, oh, are you going to help? She's like, no, I'm going to do it, and you're going to help. I love that moment. <laughs> but. So good. Earlier on, they kind of established that her whole window to reality is through the literature available to her, uh, leading, reading these uh, biographies <laughs> of people. Right. And we go through all the Romeo and Juliet-esque things of like, oh, this man, you know, this boy killed himself or pretended to kill himself, and then the girl did. And to me, like, I was love, like... Lo to her, love means you have to kill yourself. Yeah. Um, and she, she goes through story after story of, well, I, I'll know when I'm in love because I'm, I'll kill myself, basically. Yeah, extremely dramatic about the whole thing. <laughs> Which normally with a character like that who lives in that sort of thing, they live in a fantasy world through the whole story. And there's usually a very rude awakening where they have to kind of come out of it a little bit. You know, uh, Buzz and Woody, you are a toy. You know, you have to kind of have that moment. <laughs> great, great comparison. Um, nice. But she never, the thing is, she is grounded enough in reality and grounded enough in other, for not living in reality that we never, she never has to have that moment of life isn't like that. Uh, the closest thing we get is the moment where she turns to death and says, I love him. And it's kind of like, oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah, I think I do. And that's, you know, her moment of realization there of, of what has built up over this. There's no real, you can't really timeline this story because it's, time doesn't exist in the Whatever. It's, it, you might say it's a flat circle on Discworld. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That was All well right. done. That was well for done. our audio crowd. Craig is taking a lap, uh, essentially a lap in his chair here. <laughs> so, um, speaking of teenage kids, can we talk about Mort now? Yes. Is, am, I, am I cool? Um, so Albert. Talk about, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, we, we can talk about Mort. We can talk about. I do want to get to Albert, but we can talk about Mort, and we can talk about um, the princess. What's her name? Ke Kelly. Kelly. Keely? Kelly. I thought it was Keely. Kelly. Keely. Key. -E -K -E. Yeah, I can even spell. There you go. K E L I. There you go. Kelly. We're, we'll go with Keely. All right. So Mort and Keely. Uh, we can talk about them too, because there's uh, one interesting thing about um, this this book, basically about teenagers and death. Um, so Mort gets brought on as the apprentice to death and it kind of immediately goes on rounds with death. Death is going around, um, scything people or, you know, sorting them to death, you know, his, his scythe or his sword, they se it separates the soul. So when somebody gets stabbed, right, death comes along, scythes them, and then the, uh, the soul goes on up to wherever. Sorry, um, just one quick note. I love that when he does that, it like emotionally mutes the person so that they don't give him too much kerfuffle. Like there's right. this auto safe in where he's like, you're not going to be upset that you're dead because I'm not putting up with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like safety net. Sorry. So good. So um, anyway, so he's off with death doing these things. Um, but part of the trick of death is that he's so unexpected that people can't really see him. The way he explains it is, they can't see what they don't want to see or what they're not prepared to see or whatever. So he's he he's real. He can physically uh, and verbally interact with people, but they, he kind of just slides off their minds, right? Um, 
and kind of disappears that way. And he lends this power to Mort as well as they're going on their nightly rounds. And there's a moment when Mort says, uh, or in, in Mort's mind, it was unnerving being among people who were going about their own affairs and not bothering to look at one when one's entire experience of the world hitherto was that it revolved around one. Um, kind of a funny paragraph. But, but the idea here is, you know, you're a teenager and then he goes into the real world which is another tangent we could go on about how he's becoming more real the more he becomes like death, which is wildly interesting. But he, he's a teenager, and he goes out into the real world and has to understand that people don't really care. Like, no, nobody's looking at you. Nobody cares. They're all worried about their own lives. Um, and uh, it's kind of this, it's a little nugget of an, of an idea for somebody who is growing up in the real world. And Isabel, or not Isabel, Keeley goes through the same thing. The princess, who was supposed to die, and part of the process of that is everybody around her kind of subconsciously understands that according to the sacred timeline, to put it in Loki terms, according to the timeline, she's supposed to be dead. She's not supposed to be there. And so they similarly can't quite grasp that she's there, that she's talking to them. And so she, uh, more so than Mort, She's a princess. The world has revolved around her, and suddenly that's taken away from her. And the way that she has to deal with that um, is very, very interesting, I thought. Um, anyway, so thoughts on that or other things around Mort? I cannot help but picture him as Morty from Rick and Morty because that show has ruined that name for me. So <laughs> that's my first stupid note. All right, fair enough. I, you know, I've never seen it. Everybody tells me that I would love it, and I have to watch it, and I'm sure I will at some point, but I haven't yet. Well, they have somewhat similar personalities, too. Awkward teenager, unsure about a lot around them, just kind of trying to make their way through incredibly powerful circumstances. There's some there's some reflections. Um, but I would say, so my, my biggest observation with Mort, especially this time through, uh, I never thought about this until I tell this read through but terry pratchett wrote a teenage boy really well it didn't it never felt unrealistic for a teenage boy his actions his thoughts his his uh priorities always lined <laughs> up with what a teenage boy would do in these situations especially with not fully grasping the consequences of his actions until of course he's about to end reality <laughs> right yeah no absolutely ryan thoughts feelings uh there's there's a really fun side element to Mort's story that I think uh, really it caught my attention and I followed it waiting for a bigger uh, reveal moment and it never came as a reveal moment and that's okay it didn't need it and it was his ability to pass through things mm -hmm. um, and it all revolved around his how much reality he gave them as long as he wasn't really paying attention and he just needed, he just, he could go through and he got better at doing that. And death even makes the comment when you can do this sort of thing without me here, you'll be ready. And he gets to the point later on where he's just zipping in and out of doors and, you know, he's treated as a ghost, but I kind of took that and went, okay, what is this? What is uh, he trying to say with Mort about, you know, the attention and reality and, and things that, cause it goes back to your point about not being able to see him. Uh, literally this whole world to Mort is, if I give it reality, it's real. If I don't, I can just ignore it and move on. And it was like, that is a very, that is a very difficult concept for a teenage uh, person to understand, but it is absolutely something that they could do completely be oblivious to things that they didn't be aware of and just be able to pass through them. I was like, that's a, that is a very interesting magical way of showcasing that concept. As, mm. I never thought about that. And you just blew my mind. I love that. <laughs> 
Um, all right, so let's see, Mort, Mort, Mort. Uh, oh, okay, I will say one other thing about Mort uh, is that it has one of my favorite non, or one of my favorite running jokes in the book, which I shouldn't think is funny, but um, let me let me back up. <laughs> Did you ever see? Uh, there, there's an episode of Radio Lab about humor, about jokes and how they work, um, and it, it was okay. But it called uh, it this is this five ten years ago. They were talking about a Kristen Schaal stage show that she did with somebody else. Uh, it was a comedy show. And in this stage show, they the guy would start singing the songs. Kristen Schaal is a horse. Kristen Schaal is a horse. Look at her dance and look at her go. Kristen Schaal is a horse. And he repeated that, just that, for something like five or ten minutes straight. Uh, and that was the comedy routine. And she would dance around the stage doing like a little horse dance. Um, and it was this repetition over and over and over and over. And pretty soon people thought it was funny at first. And then after 45 seconds, they're like, this is weird. Two minutes in, they're like, this is the most painful thing I've ever heard in my life. And then five minutes later, they're all rolling on the ground laughing. Can't believe that this is still happening. Um, and that's part of the humor, of it, right? It's kind of experimental humor. Anyway, so I would find that very painful. Similarly, I should find it painful that he uses the same joke through the entire book. Every time someone calls Mort boy or lad, he's, he says Mort. Over, over and over and over again, Mort, Mort. Every time somebody, hey, boy, come here, Mort, what do you want? You know, it just, and he just kind of interjects it a lot. Uh, I shouldn't think it's funny, but as I was going through the book, you know, three quarters of the way through, I'm like, you know what? This is freaking hilarious. He's done it so many times now that I'm I'm in. All right, he wore me down. I bought into his humor. It's uh, like when it's a song so is stuck on repeat, and it'll like just like like thirtieth time through, you're like, now maybe this is a bop again. Like you're just like this. Is, <laughs> I've been driven insane by the repetition. Um, no, I think that is one of the jokes that I I don't know. It's never I've I'm aware it's there, but it's just never really impacted me one way or the other. I guess it's just one that I was, I was like, it's an aspect of the world building. So I always just kind of viewed it as like the oh yeah, he's forgettable. So of course people are going to call him lad boy, etc. Well, part of the humor, of course, of Mort is that Mort is French for death. Mm -hmm. It's literally the French word for death. Which also uh, I'm going to pull up the the very last line of the book, and I mean the very last line. Um, when Mort says uh, goodbye, he says goodbye to death. Um, I was surprised to find a lump in his throat. It's such an unpleasant word, isn't it? Quite so. Death grins because, as has been so often remarked, he didn't have much option, but possibly he meant it this time. I prefer au revoir, he said, which is perfect. I don't know why, because the whole joke is that Mort is French for death, and au revoir is so much better because it's French for goodbye. So eh, this is much more pleasant. Let's just, uh, it's, he he can't not be joking. It's hilarious <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I, I think that. it's interesting that you've both called that out as a joke, and I, I recognize it as a, a running gag, but I, to me, I never read it as a, a, something to like to truly laugh about. It was a a moment for Mort as a character to kind of assert a little bit of himself consistently mm. that he's not a spineless uh, character just to be walked on, which he very easily could be because that's kind of what he starts out as. But he has a little bit of pride in, in his name and in who he is. And so that's why when people call him boy or lad or whatever, that he brings it back. And I appreciated that that was consistent through the whole story. Uh, I kept waiting for the moment for someone to turn around and, and 
call him by his name and all of a sudden the world has changed because of his consistency. And it's not really much until uh, there's a moment in the duel between death and Mort where he's like, it's Mort, you bastard. And, you know, that's <laughs> that's like the payoff of that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, it to me, I just I read it as a way for the character to showcase a little bit of a spine uh, through the whole piece. I think that's like that's more how I kind of had the impression of it. I I'd never laughed out loud at it or anything like that. I just kind of saw it as like this this thing that he has to deal with and it's pissing him off. But of course he can't do anything. I, I also have a bit of a weird conspiracy theory. Can we get into that? Is that allowed? Uh, uh, always, of course, forever. Okay. Yeah. So we know death does not really respect people's autonomy or emotions. Like he will just like, and he kills you. He mutes your emotions. He's like, I don't care what you have to think about this right now. Like he's not exactly the most respectful of uh, our autonomy. And when he first meets Mort, it's death. Death, Mort is seeing death, and he's not freaking the hell out, which to me tells me he's already messing with Mort's emotions. He's just playing with Mort's head however he needs to. And throughout a lot of the early book, he's just showing Mort fantastic, extraordinary things. You know, there's all this stuff that should just be blowing Mort's mind. But he always seems kind of muted, in a sense, to his reactions to them. They're still there, but they're not as over the top. And for me, I always took that as Terry Pratchett subtly letting us know that death is just destroying his emotional freedom and basically making him do what he wants to do. And then at the end of the book, after Mort's outburst, he's kind of let him go. I get a more sense that now death is actually trusting him to have those emotional responses. And it's why once Mort is on his own, he doesn't have death near him. Suddenly he's being led by his penis and he lets the beautiful girl live because death's not there to stop him from doing that kind of stuff. Do you yes, think I'm crazy or think that lines up? That's where magic is stored, I guess. Apparently, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I think you're. I think that's a perfectly reasonable point, Daniel. Okay. Um, and yeah, that is a weird thing about magic in Discworld, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, I'm being reminded by somebody in chat. Um, Alden says uh, "Au revoir" means I will see you again. Of course. Um, uh, to yeah, like yeah, uh, till the next time, which is true for everyone. Death meets anyway, so that's a good call out uh, on that line. So good one. Um, so, uh, one, we have one more, uh, major character, I guess, kind of secondary character that we should probably talk about, uh, as we wrap up in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, and that is Albert. Um, and if there's one place this book doesn't quite work for me, it's with Albert. I still, after finishing, I, I don't know what the point of him was. I, I understand why he was there. He was, he was hiding from death by working for death, you know, he made some deal with death uh, so that he would never die. Um, he's a 2000 year old wizard who is stuck in death's, uh, house. Um, but he, he never, he never quite worked for me. What about you guys? I, I agree that in this, he does not serve the best purpose. I don't want to spoil anything for you. I think it's good setup for what his purpose is later on. Okay, so he's a recurring character. Okay. So that makes more sense. I, I mean, I would still stand by this, though. Like, in this book, mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, he provided some funny scenes. He provided uh, an antagonist in a few places. Um, he he was interesting, I guess. But, like, within the story, I was a little bit like, oh, well. He was the one who brought I, them all together and allowed the resolution between death and Mort, though. Like, the, the catalyst. using this spell, the reverse... Whatever I, it's it's like he poured out a Scrabble 
tiles and like <laughs> this spell is called the Ankhmet or whatever I can't remember. Right. So I, can't I remember. get a feeling that Terry Pratchett doesn't care that much about naming stuff. He just he just does sounds. <laughs> it's well, just like I whatever, mean, it's fine. Ankh-Morpork is like I said, it's the greatest city name ever because it's just <laughs> funny sounds. Ankh-Morpork. I don't know. Um, okay, well. Yeah, I guess uh, I just I got to a few places with him where I, I kept thinking to myself, why are we with him? Why are we here? What's he doing? And and yeah, it never never quite worked. With one exception, there's a line that he, that he has. Um, gosh, this is uh, two thirds of the way through the book ish. Um, they oh yeah, that's right. They're looking at the notes. This is the thing you brought up, Ryan, where she says, uh, where where Isabel says, no, I'll do it, and you'll help. Right? She understands how the notes work. Well, when they first open it up, they open the ledger. They look at it for a long time, and Mort said, "What do all these symbols mean?" "Sodomy non sapiens," said Albert under his breath. "What does that mean?" It "Means bugger if I know." It's so good. Sodomy non sapiens. Bugger if I know. I'm totally. I want that on my T-shirt, Daniel. I, that's that's what I want. Sodomy non sapiens. People would very much look at me strange on the street if I wore that around. Um, so anyway, I like like I said, he had a few moments. I just didn't. Uh, I, I wasn't an Albert guy in this book. I, I will say I liked his presence more than anything he did. I thought he was written very well and how he is a foil for other people at times. But I think you're right. He, he doesn't have. Except for acting as that catalyst, Ryan mentioned the most purpose within the narrative. Um, right. I will say one note on Keeley or Kelly. I don't know. I forget what we decided for the pronunciation there. I like that it's, she uh, be Brit Brittany. Hmm? It's Brittany. We're going oh. with Brittany. Gotcha. Um, I like that she started more likable, but the more you're around her, the more you're kind of like, she sucks. <laughs> yeah. Especially when she gets to the point where she just tells the wizard, like, you're my royal recognizer or whatever she calls him. It's yeah. like, no, this guy doesn't have a life he needs to care about. This is fine. Um, I, I thought it was because a lot of times when you make unlikable characters, you start over the top. Like Dolores Umbridge comes to mind, just someone mm. who in first moment, you're like, I hate them. It's good to have a subversion of that where she starts fine. And then and over... she's the princess. We're in yeah. love. We want to save her. Yeah. Yeah. But then as time goes on, you're kind of like, so you're a self-centered little prick. <laughs> that's, that's what you are. Got it. Pretty, pretty much. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're coming up on the end of our time here. Um, we have time for a few other things. I did want to ask, okay, zooming back out. What is the point of this book? What is... Uh, and and let me while you're thinking about that, let me just tell you why I asked. It's because he keeps bringing up. I, I mentioned one of these things earlier. The the whole you know have a, a sharp a sharp blade is uh, uh, is what what's the word uh, mercy in some situations, right? Um, he has little moments like that, um, philosophical moments. There's one where um, he after Mort has saved the princess and he's freaking out because he's broken reality. And he says, I'm, uh, as you do, as you, as you do. Exactly. Right. Let's <laughs> see if I can actually pull this one up. Uh, you see when I, when he tried to kill her, I killed him talking about the assassin. But the thing is, according to the history, she should have died and the Duke would be King. But the worst bit, the worst bit is that although he's absolutely rotten to the core, he'd unite the cities and eventually there'll be a federation and the books say there'll be a hundred years of peace and plenty. I mean, you'd think there'd be a reign of terror or something, but apparently history needs this kind of person sometimes and the princess would just be another monarch. I mean, not bad, not, not quite good really, but just not right. 
and now it's not going to happen, and history is flapping around loose, and it's all my fault. Um, and it, it got me to thinking, uh, I, I, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about the idea of, of uh, history on, on tracks, right? So history is predetermined we're all going somewhere and there's uh, and there, there's a destiny for each of us and as i was reading passages like that uh, in the book i kept thinking to myself he's gonna do something with this later on in the book and maybe he did and i missed it that's totally possible but i i kept thinking he's gonna get to a point where he's going to uh find a way to dismiss this idea of predestination or uh really double down on it and he kind of doubled down on it. I was, uh, I, I hate the idea of predestination. I, I totally reject it out of hand. It's just, a, it's no way to live your life. Um, but well, yeah, Ryan, with what you three minutes think. left, uh, Craig would like us to get into the conversation of free will. Um, <laughs> so let's, free will versus let's go order and K. Yeah, let's talk about whether or not free will exists with three minutes left on the podcast. <laughs> hang on, hang on. We all need our bar stools. Everybody oh, yeah. Grab a bar stool and a drink, <laughs> and let's talk about predestination. So I am a cynic. I don't think – I, for many reasons, don't believe there's free will. I, I personally don't. So I actually really enjoyed seeing a book that, in my opinion, didn't back down from that idea because it is the easier, nicer, more cathartic thing to be like, oh, no, this is free will. We're all special little butterflies making our own destiny. And I like that Terry Pratchett. You are cynical. Yeah. Goodness gracious. I like Why did we invite you on? <laughs> I like that Terry Pratchett went, nah, man, we're not changing the rules of nature for this boy. And it's and he is boy or lad. And so instead, <laughs> no, it's, it's the predestination of the universe. Ryan? Uh, the idea of free will and uh, in this sort of setup is uh, wonderful uh, until you feel like you can't exercise it or you can't. You, you start to feel the constraints of the predestination setup. Um, I, this is a philosophy piece that I haven't yet come down with a firm answer as to where I stand. I'm, I think I'm more free will than predestination. Uh, but I can see the comfort and the frustration of knowing like there's a comfort in being able to say, you know what, things are going to be the way they're going to be. And that's just the way how things are. And that's comfortable because I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, my decisions aren't going to greatly alter the future or greatly destroy the future. Usually is more the anxiety, the way that I, the way that I would think about it is like, am I going to destroy everything I care about by creating an alternate reality that's going to close in on itself? Um, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's what Mort did uh, in this, in the, in the story. And he never reacted as harshly as I think I would have. Like, he never just sat down and pissed his pants. And I want to be honest, if I did that, that's that would be my reaction as a 26-year-old adult. So good on Mort for handling it like a champ. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because there, there's something you pointed out that I uh, you've talked about before that I didn't really, I didn't really register in my read uh, with death kind of dampening the emotions a little bit. I remember there's a moment he like cut someone and he's like, I thought I would feel different. He's like, Oh no, that that's something that has to deal with the organs. That's you don't have organs anymore. So it doesn't matter. So I kind of just read everything there. And uh, I've always, I read Mort's uh, approach to things. And the reason he got the job uh, and was the one that death selected was because he was in a mental place to be able to deal with these issues, to be able to deal with this. And uh, he's one of the rare people who had that ability. Death saw something in him. It's that that spark yeah, in there mm. that allowed him to be able to cope with it and say, uh, yeah, so that's I guess that is how it is. Um, 
and so it was more of a natural thing than some than an active act of death on there. Um, I'm open to either one of them, but that's, no, I, that's how I, I like that, that interpretation. I think it lines up with the text more because Mort is in a position after he becomes Death's apprentice. Does he still have his? I mean, he's fading through walls. I don't know if standard chemical reactions apply to him as much anymore. So you could absolutely be right that Death did something to him that it's not his conscious. He's not consciously doing it to Mort. It's just Mort's result of being what he is now because that's never mm-hmm. super clarified what has been done to him physically because he's breaking that's- laws of physics necrotic osmosis let's go with that one um all right what made up uh all right so kiptan got that one i bet um we we're gonna turn around and say that's not a thing craig that's not yeah that's not your your latin sucks and that's true um okay well shoot what else was i i think i i you know i think that'll i think that'll carry us through uh daniel if you haven't yet you should go watch uh, devs on hulu um, you would love it. Uh, this is going back to our uh, the, our uh, free will debate. Okay, I just uh, I meant to tell you that you should get, and everybody else should too. Go watch. Death I was like, did I black out for about five minutes of this conversation? <laughs> How did we get here? Uh, no, it wouldn't be a legendary episode if I didn't uh, take a hard, hard right turn um, somewhere. So yeah, uh, if you like that debate, you like that show. Um, okay, so Daniel, thank you for choosing this book. I'm really glad I read it. Uh, it was a ton of fun. Like you said, great palate cleanser, but it's also one that has enough to it that I, I had some things to think about. So excellent choice, my friend. Thank you. All right, Ryan, uh, any final thoughts before we call it quits for today? No, really enjoyed the book. And just I, if anyone's looking at I, you asked Brandon Sanderson when we were at Jordan Con about what should I read in between these heavy emotional things? And he said, Pratchett. Right. And this was a good reminder, a good chance to go through it and, and realize the value of these sort of this sort of book and this sort of thing that there is, you can enjoy this and there's great value in just being able to have something that's maybe not quite as heavy, but still has enough there. I mean, we just talked about it for an hour. There's enough there to talk about it. If you want to have, have stuff to talk about it. So, uh, you know, so far Discworld is two for two on my reads. Yeah. Good. Well, awesome. I, I want to ask one question better than the other Discworld book you read, or which do you prefer between the two, both of you? Oh gosh, <laughs> it's it's been what like three years now since we read the truth, uh, so it's going to be tough for me to say that without any recency bias. It would be tough for me to say the truth is better. I okay. I think I might go with the truth. Just it feels more polished. Um, very fair because this is earlier on in uh, the publication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe. It has nothing to do with polish. The truth is better because it has a vampire that dissolves himself with a. <laughs> The vampire photographer who dissolves himself every time he flashes. <laughs> that comedy genius alone uh, puts it to the top of the series. That was that was legit as a, as a book. And pick any random set of five pages within that book. Funniest thing I think I've ever read in my life. Uh, the truth is just off the charts. So yeah, maybe just for that reason, that would be a good one. Um, well, Daniel, as our as our wrap up continues i want you to give the people your elevator pitch uh for why they should go check out breach of peace give us uh, 30 seconds on what it is and why people should read it 
Ah, Breach of Peace is my little propaganda novella leading into my wider series where you're getting the perspective of people who are serving a brainwashed cult that has taken over the entire continent. And so this is the angle of, wouldn't it be nice to live here? And then this follow-up, Rebel's Creed, which I'm finishing up now and will be out by the end of this year, hopefully, is the truth of living in the society from the other angle. So the purpose is to provide like a one-two punch. Uh, maybe I should have put them together because there's multiple people online who go, wow, Daniel really thinks a religious cult be great and i'm like no no no, 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 no. i'm not trying to say that um, so that is uh the elevator pitch and it's available wherever books are sold hopefully i'm still not 100 at least online yeah yeah online yeah. it popped is up it as in... an audible recommendation for me yesterday when i was yeah. uh, getting some other things so I, it's audible keeps pushing it at the same time they pulled it from the store before i don't get what they're doing they pulled it from the store because they said it was it had too many sales they couldn't be legit and had to be like i'm a youtuber I talked about it in a video. It just spiked for that reason. And they were like, oh, okay. And they put it back up. I was like, really? Oh, Thanks. That's painful. That probably cost you quite a few sales. Anyway, uh, yeah, people should go check out Breach of Peace. Um, I've started it. Daniel, I haven't yet finished it, but I'm enjoying my time with it. Uh, thank so, you. yeah, I, I hope people go do likewise. Uh, anyway, thank you everybody for listening slash watching if you are watching us on YouTube. Um, and thanks to our very small live studio audience. Uh, it was good to have you guys with us. Uh, but please go to thelegendarium.com. Check out the links for previous episodes. You can also check out the link to the, the uh, Discord server where we have uh, coming up on a thousand people and the most pleasant, fun uh, social media experience I promise that you will ever have. So go check out our Discord server. Find the link at thelegendarium.com. Also support us at patreon.com slash legendarium and subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, everybody, and we will see you next time.